Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles questions and principles such as, what is money? Markets work. The folks that you're trying to impress very likely don't have money either. Philip's philosophy on risk-taking. Why do wealthy people have wealth managers? The importance of knowledge, faith, and persistence. Plus, an interview with day and swing trader Terry Egioma. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, back with another episode of Ask Philip Podcast. And I think it's going to be a fun episode today because I get somebody who's another investment nerd to talk about investments. And so I just, I enjoy this conversation. I don't think I've had a a, a fellow uh, investment nerd on here. So this will be a fun conversation. We have Terry Egioma. She actually like quit her job a few years back and is trading full time, and so she has a couple of different businesses. and And I don't want to mess up um, the businesses. So Terry, why don't you introduce yourself in the in the businesses that you have in in trading? Sure. So thank you so much for having me, Philip. It's so great to be here. Um, as you said, my name is Terry Gioma, and I am the founder of a school, an investing school called Trade and Travel. And it all started when I was in education realm. I was in education for about 10 years, ultimately becoming an assistant principal of an elementary school. And and I got tired of it. I was just ready to go. So I needed an exit strategy. So I started trading on the side and then decided I'm going to use this to replace my income. So I started trying to trade to make $300 a day because that's all I needed to replace my income. And I started doing it. First, I was just trying to be positive. Then it was $100 a day, then $200 a day. And at $300, I told my principal, I'm out of here and started traveling all over the world. So I went to Thailand for a month, South Korea for a month, Vietnam for a month, Australia, Israel, Greece, everywhere. And um, of course, people started seeing me on Instagram and they were like, we know she was in education. How is she affording this? And I told them I'm trading stocks. That's how I'm affording it. And they started asking me to teach them how to trade. So that's how I I'm a full time trader still day and swing trader, but also teach people how to trade as well in the trading travel school. That is awesome because as as everybody knows, there are very few minorities in the business, and even even few black women. So I I love this story too. But so let me so because it, it makes me curious, like how did you even get interested in investing? Right, being a school teacher because uh, my wife was a school teacher and all my family is school teachers, and school teachers are notoriously for um, not being on top of their money. I mean. Americans are, period, but <laughs> school teachers really are just so focused in on giving themselves to the kids. They don't really have time to think about that kind of stuff. So how would you get interested? It's true. And I do have to clarify, I was an assistant principal, but I wasn't a teacher. Okay. So, um, some, yeah, some people are like, well, yeah, how did that happen? in the classroom? Yeah. I know, that? right? That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Um, I was a minister, though. I was a minister of middle school kids. So that I, I think that's teaching. I actually learned about investing in high school. Mm. I did this program my se- se- junior year of high school going into senior year. And they took us to Northwestern University. 
And I got to go to the Chicago Stock Exchange there in Chicago. And that's my first introduction. So that's when I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. People are making all this money in stocks. And then that year, my senior year is when Google had their IPO. Mm. And I remember wanting to get in. It was like $83 a share. I went to my grandmother and I, I grew up in, in Dallas area. I went to Bowie. So I remember going to all my teachers like, y'all, how do I get into how do I get into Google? And nobody knew anything. So that was my first intro, knowing that there was money to be made and not knowing how to get in. Mm. <laughs> then I went to college. I went to MIT. I had graduated uh, like number three in my class, went to MIT. And at MIT, I interned on Wall Street at Morgan Stanley. So that was my second introduction to, OK, this stock world. And I, again, saw all these people making money. However, they don't teach you how to do it for yourself. They teach you how to analyze things and do all the work for the company. But I still didn't really know how to do it for myself until years later when I decided to start taking classes for myself. It's funny you say that. because I think exposure early on is what it's about. And this show is about you. But that's I, I learned about it in high school, too. So exposure is such a big thing. You said since, since you quit your job, you've been living... That's that's pretty dope to just live off of trading, you know, quitting your job and being able to do that. So um, you already answered my second question. So here's the third question: What's your what's your trading time frame, and, and why'd you pick that time frame? So I'm trading for income. So that okay. means that I have to be an active investor because I need to make the money so that I can pay my bills, go on trips, pay down. I pay down my student loans with trading. So I need to actually. Re- coop the the investment and then use it for things. So I'm actually like a day and swing trader. Mm -hmm. I'm a technical analysis trader. So I'm looking at charts and I'm looking at formations in the candlesticks to tell me when the banks are buying and when the banks are selling. So depending on how long it takes to get from one level to the next, that's how long I'll be in the trade. Mm -hmm. That could be a day if it takes a day or it could be a couple weeks if it takes a couple weeks. So just I'm an active investor and I, I do what the chart says. And, and so can you explain for everybody what's the difference between day trading and swing trading? Sure. So day trading is if you get into a stock in one day and then sell it that same day, that's a day trade. If you get into a stock one day and then sell it two days, one day, a couple weeks, a month later, that's a swing trade. Mm-hmm. As long as it's less than a year, it's considered a swing trade to mm-hmm. hold a position. How do you decide when to buy, when to sell, and how much? Great questions. So in my trade and travel school, I definitely teach people these things. One of the one of the biggest things that I think many investors are missing is understanding charts because charts are what tells you the timing. When like I was saying this before, but just to go into a little bit more detail, candlesticks are telling you where the price has been of that stock. So it's telling you the price action. But when you put those candles together, they actually tell you a story. They tell you where the banks have big orders sitting in the computer and where they have big orders to sell sitting in the computer. And if you know where the big banks like Morgan Stanley, um, JP Morgan Chase, if you know where they're buying Goldman Sachs, then you can follow those orders and you'll see that your, your positions will move too. So I think about it like this, like, have you ever been to an auction and there's like a ton of people there looking to buy something? It could be a house, a painting, anything, but they start out real low and 
So it's something like, let's just say it's, they start at $10. Everybody wants it. So everybody's like, I'll take it. I'll take it. And then they go up in the price. Okay. What about $15? Then you still got people buying. They keep going up in the price until there's not very many people looking to buy. So when you have a lot of people buying a, a stock at one price, the price, the stock will start going up. Um, that's what's happening when you're looking at the candles too. You're looking at where there are a lot of buy orders pushing it up or where there are a lot of sell orders pushing it down. Okay. So, side note, have you ever heard of Victor Sperandio? Have you read his book? Mm-mm, you would, no. You would love it. It's like, uh, it's like, like, you know, regular people don't read that book. And it's not even in publication anymore. But so you got to buy it used off Amazon. And it's like expensive now. I bought it, you know, years back. But it's worth it. It's called um, Methods of a... Wall Street Master by Trader Vic, but you would love it because he was a he was a, a swing trader like you and made stupid amounts of money. He lives here and he's in he's in like Las Colinas or Irving or somewhere. But uh, oh, that's awesome! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you 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 would like that. But I got off track. Let me get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good resource for for me and for everyone listening. So mm-hmm. that's great. I don't want to give away like your system because you have a course for that and we'll get into the course but like what are just some of the basic rules that you like to to follow to uh, grow and protect your money when trading sure so first when i'm thinking about picking good companies i look for companies that are best in breed best in their sector and they're on a they're on an uptrend healthy companies moving at least a dollar a day so that's super important to me I'm not a penny stock investor. I think that penny stocks are, are too risky. I'm not a cryptocurrency person. Nope. I'm very, very much stocks and options looking for healthy companies. If you were to look at my portfolio, it'd be probably very similar to someone who was long-term investing, but I'm just trading in and out of my positions. So that's one. Then when I'm thinking about risk management, I'm very, very um, particular about making sure that I'm managing my stop losses. So that's where I'm getting out of the trade. If it goes the wrong way, I'm putting in stops. I'm also managing my quantity size because quantity size is like, (laughs) it's a huge component of how successful you are in a trade. If you take the right trade and you only have two, two shares, then you don't make money. Or if you take the wrong trade and you have too many shares, you lose a lot of money. So being able to calculate the right quantity size is super important. So there's formulas that I use for both quantity size, my stops, and my reward to risk ratio. I'm looking at positions that give me three, at least three times my reward to risk. That's like, I want to make sure that I'm a safe trader and not just a get rich quick type of trader. Nope, I'm safe, but I, I do pretty well. And then I look at charts, as I was telling you, that's how I'm determining what price to get in and out of a stock, because I think you can have a great stock, but get in at the wrong time. Like if you look at um, Apple right now, Apple's at its all time highs. This might not be the best time to get in. You want to wait for a pullback, although the company itself is a great company. But you can tell those things when you look at charts. And then I'm also really big on having a trading plan. I think that if you don't have some kind of plan that tells you all these things, when do you get in and out? What kind of companies do you invest in? You need something like I have a seven step trading plan. I follow it every single time so that I can have consistency. And and also it can take some of the emotions out of it because trading can be really emotional. But if you're following a plan, well, you're like, hey, I did the seven steps. 
If it goes good, cool. If it doesn't, at least I followed my plan. So that's some of the rules I follow. Yeah, no, I like that. And and you hit on something that I, that I talk about a lot is a lot of people think good investors are like crazy risk takers, right? They're like, oh, yeah, these the good investors just... They have a, 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 a stomach like a Risk sailor tolerance or something. Yeah. Or, okay, stomach for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm like, no, kind of like what you just said, the people that I know that are good at it, they're they're more risk-averse than what you think. You know, they have a lot of things set up to just allow them to survive, right? Because you know this, it's, it's, it's more about surviving and waiting for what I call like two-foot hurdles, you know, meaning, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you feel like you're um, taking a trade, whether it's long-term or short-term, that's... I don't, that's hard, you know, that's out of the strike zone, then it's probably not the right trade, right? Because you, your best trades have probably been like wide open, you know, home runs. Yeah. It definitely is. Because I found that especially on every trade where I'm just like trying to make it go up $1, like I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get into this. And if it just goes up $1, then I'll, I'll make my money and run every single every single time I try to do that. That's the ones that inevitably go all the way wrong and I lose all my money because I'm just trying to scalp or trying to just, you know, get in real fast. It's the ones where this is a great opportunity. Everything in my plan lines up. I'm following my rules. Those are the ones that actually are successful versus the just try to get in and do something real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a... Um, does does the big picture macro environment at all affect your trades? And let me clarify that for folks. For what what I mean in folks is like, um, you know, uh, Terry mentioned she trades technicals and charts, but big picture economics is like, you know, what are interest rates doing or what are central banks yeah. doing, all that kind of stuff. So, I will say that I'm I'm looking right now at what China is doing and the tensions between America and China because. Right now, news is very much impacting the overall market. And lately, I've been trading a lot of like options on the S&P 500. So if some news comes out that China has now decided to you know, squash the trade deal or something happens where the tensions go up, inevitably, the whole market moves. So we have to be aware of macro things. Um, I'm also looking right now at what's happening with the stimulus package. Like those things are lately like really impacting the market as a whole. So I have to be aware of it. Even if I'm following the the charts, news will just help us get to our levels faster. It's still, we're still looking at the charts, but if you have some like news event come out, you'll notice, oh, well, it reached my target super fast today versus waiting a little while. So yes, I'm always looking at, at both the news and my chart. Okay. And do do you have a longer term portfolio as in addition to your trading portfolio? So I don't, but I think I'm going to start mm-hmm. because lately I've been getting to a point um like I guess I've been a millionaire now for a little while, but I'm getting to a point where the money can work for me and I don't have to work as hard. And I think that Now is the time where it'd be good to have like a longer term portfolio that even if it's just kicking out like one or two percent a month, that's still like pretty good money versus me as a trader. I'm trying to make like one percent a day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I haven't. But but as I was saying, I think I'm going to start so that I don't have to work as hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And you kind of covered the other one. What are you teaching your course? Talk, talk about like your course. Actually, we haven't talked about that. We talked about the course, but talk about what you're teaching your course and how people can get your course to learn more if they want to. Sure. So it's an eight-week curriculum, and the whole thing is a VIP program. It has seven classes in it, and it starts from the novices. So we start with intro to the stock market, and I talk about how the stock market really is a market where people are buying and selling things. Then we go into risk management. How do you protect yourself from losing? Then charts. How, Like I said, how do you price it correctly? And then the trading plan. But then for our VIPs, we keep going and we go into shorting. So how do you make money when the market is falling? We look at gaps in Globex trading. So the news we were just talking about, like how do you capitalize on that news? And then we go into options. Now, let's take everything I just taught you and amplify it with option contracts. So that's the full course. It's all online. So it's pre-recorded. You can watch it at your own pace. But once a week, we have coaching calls to help keep you accountable. So you can jump into those coaching calls and then, you know, help follow along with the curriculum. For the trade and travel students, we have coaching once a week on Tuesdays. And for the VIPs, we have more intense coaching. So I have like a mastermind on Mondays where I'm actually in the market. And then we have a Thursday small group call. It's it's really cool. We now have over 2,300 students in the program. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's a pretty big school. And our big goal is we're helping 1,000 students make $1,000 in a day. So we have over 300 people that have hit the $1,000 in a day club and they have plaques and like they're really changing their lives and their families' lives. So it's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I love that because and, and are you finding people that come into your course have never invested before? We did a survey and about 65% of the students had never invested before. And a few of them had invested, but like 86% of them considered themselves like super novice. Like even if they had invested, they were mm-hmm. like, I'm still new. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, most of them haven't invested before. You know, I, I love that because it's, it's just about exposure, you know, and, and you know this, you, you were... At MIT, you saw Wall Street. Uh, you you look at the folks that have all this money, and you're like, they're really not, you know, uh, above average in intelligence, right? You are because you went to MIT, but I just mean, you've seen you've seen the people that are, you know, s- you know, centimillionaires, and you're like, ah, they're really just not that. Sp-. You know, I'm not saying they're dumb, but I'm just saying it doesn't yeah. require. It doesn't require book smarts. Right. Like, I think when you're investing, a lot of people are like, oh, do I need to know a lot of math? No. Honestly, it's more about do you have business savvy? Like, trading is a negotiation between buyers and sellers. So do you know how to spot when something is on sale, buy it low, and then sell it high? And that's for both short selling and regular going long. So for for the all that means, that's for when you're making money on the way down and on the way up. You're still selling high and buying back low. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more of a business savvy thing. Like if you're a good entrepreneur or you know how to go to dealers and spot the clearance rack, then you'd be okay as a trader. Okay. Okay. La- last question. And this is a fun question. I didn't prep I didn't prep you for it. And you may not watch the NBA, but you gotta give an answer. Who do you have for the playoffs? <laughs> oh, okay. So tell you the truth, I have not been watching everything going on in Orlando. So I don't even know like who is who is number one. But of course, I'm always going to go for the Mavericks because that's home team. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that answer. Okay. That, that, you know, that's that's actually like a good answer. My my teams are 
the Rockets, and then if they if and the Rockets are playing great, but if they get knocked out, I like the I like the Mavs too because Luca, Luca is a beast. That guy is, and he's only twenty. So, uh, I like Man. that answer. So. The young the young guys, they <laughs> wow, it's mm-hmm. crazy to me how like. Now, in, in most of the professional sports, the guys are so young. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I think that's why I'm so, so happy that you're doing like this podcast and that we're out here educating people financially, because there's a lot of people even in the NBA that need some help financially, especially when they're coming into all this wealth so young. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 no, definitely. And, I, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, because, you know, I think, um, yeah, I mean, we we have the same mission, educate folks about money and help them build wealth. And so that's, that's why I wanted you to uh, come on. And, and a side note, what ended up happening was, I think I told you, I was like, um, uh, cause I, you know, I, I bash day trading a lot. Right. But then one day I was like, wait a minute, let's, let's look at the 1% number. Cause you know, 1% of people make money, but I was like, wait a minute, 80% of businesses, um, uh, don't survive the first five years. And then other ones that survive, 80% uh, don't survive to year 10, which is pretty close to 1%. Um, and I was like, it's just about discipline. You know, it's just about discipline. And so, you know, I was like, I need to have somebody on who's actually doing it with discipline. And so, you know, Terry and Earl, you know, had had your course and spoke highly of it. And, and we talked and I was like, okay, she knows what she's talking about. So let me have her on for the folks that are doing it. They need to you know, just hear from somebody that's that's not me to talk about. Hey, discipline, and and I'm not day trading. You are or swing trading, and so uh, definitely, I definitely appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for having me. If anybody wants to see about the course, I have a free webinar at itradeandtravel.com. 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 All right, and where can they find you on social media? At I'm an investor. It looks like Imani investor on Instagram, or they can go to most channels at Trade and Travel. So YouTube. I also have like an Instagram for Trade and Travel. So yeah, just look us up. All righty. But but thank thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. First question, Philip. What is money? It's funny. This question sounds super simple, but it's it. I don't know for maybe or maybe I'm just not super smart. But it took me a while to understand like what money really is. And, and money is really just a, a, a way to store value. So let me let me give an example that will be non-abstract and make sense. Let's say that people have a problem and their problem is, hey, I need to find out how much money I need to retire, how much I need to be investing to retire, when I can retire, and what investments I need to retire. Because that's a problem they can't solve. And so and so whenever you're able to help people solve a problem, right, they you bring value and they they pay you for that value, right? And so money is something where it's a unit of account to say, hey, Philip, for Philip helping me solve that problem, I'm willing to pay him X amount of dollars because he brought me value, right? And so let's say somebody has a million dollars in money, right? What that means is they were able to give to society a million dollars worth of a value, right? It, it's a, it's kind of like a scorecard of you giving something to society, right? And it could be, it could also be money. Whenever you invest or you lend money, there's people in the markets who need money, and you're a provider of money. And so, if you if you provide money in the right way, in the right places, your money can can grow, and and you provided a valuable service to people in the economy. And so, m- money 
it's just a store of value. It's, it's nothing else. It's not the, the paper means nothing. The numbers and digits inside of the computer mean nothing. It's literally just a, a store of value to show, hey, uh, here's how much value I had. Now, let me, some people will be like, hey, I know some people who have money. They don't bring any value, right? You can, you can steal value too. I mean, other people bring value and you can take that value. Just like if, if you have a bike, somebody can take your bike and it becomes their bike. So when you're looking at money, you're looking at stores of value that either you brought or somebody else created. And we won't get into the into this question about like governments who print money and all that. I'm going to I'm going to beat them up on the next question, but that's what money is. Next principle, markets work. So what is, what does that mean? Like what is what does markets work mean? Markets work for me is is a dig at central banks. So let me explain what I mean. So the the Soviet Union crumbled, I believe in like the late 80s, early 90s when we were in a cold war against them because they ran a communist type of country, which means communism means you have a bunch of bureaucrats, a bunch of humans who decide what the prices of things are. And that economic system uh, did not compete well against the U.S. system, which let markets dictate prices. So, for example, if you have all these goods and services trading, and we have like millions of goods and services trading around the world, if people are willing to buy Jordans at $300 and people are actually buying them, that means that's the right price, right? Versus you have 10 bureaucrats in a room that decide, hey, how much are we going to price Jordans? How much are we going to price pins? How much are we going to price all this kind of stuff? That's real difficult for the for humans to be able to do. And so markets work better to price goods and, and, and services, right? And that's that's not an opinion. Like, that's just a fact. You could look at all kinds of ex- experiments to figure it out, but markets markets being people, right? Let the people decide what they want to price goods and services at, and it works way better than ten or twelve or fifty bureaucrats. Period. Like that's let's assume that's fact because it is a fact. What's the what the the, hypocr- the 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 hypocrisy of central banks and central bankers and governments are? Hey, we know markets work, but when it comes to to money creation or or, or pricing money. We think we think the central bankers are going to do better. We think we're better at pricing money or, or distributing money or creating money in the side. We think we're better than than the market at doing that. Meaning, what we have right now is a experiment since the I don't even want to get time frames right now, but for a while of of these bureaucrats saying, "Hey, we know best. When we think that the market needs more money, we're going to give it more money." When we think it needs less money, we're going to take money away. And the result of that is where we are right now. We've had lots of booms and busts. The rich have gotten richer. The poor have gotten poorer. That's that's getting even worse. And their options are running are, are, are running low on what central banks can do to stimulate the economy because what what the central banks basically are are are, are doing right now is just printing money to put a Band-Aid on all of our problems because, because it, it that process doesn't work. Versus just letting the market handle everything. And, and by the way, y'all, when I say the market handle things, sometimes it's ugly, right? Sometimes if, if let me give a specific example and get an abstractions. Let's give a market-based example. You have these retailers that are going out of business right now. And then you have Amazon who, anybody who uses Amazon loves it. They're very efficient at using their money. Uh, they're growing. They're giving customers what they want. 
you have other retailers going out of business. So what what, what ended up happening was these businesses that are that are going bankrupt in retail, Amazon saying, hey, why don't we just buy these different malls and places and use them as distribution centers so that we can deliver more value to the customer. So it was painful for the retailers, but the consumer, we get a better deal because we get better service, faster service, and Amazon's continuing to grow and win, right? So that's kind of one example of the market solving a problem. Let's give a different example of what happens when government central banks print money and let losers win. And I like to use AT&T as an example. AT&T is a perfect example of a loser company that benefits from um, cheap money because who loves who loves AT&T's services? They all suck. You know, and no offense if you work at AT&T. I'm just saying, name me an AT&T product that you love. It doesn't exist. And the only reason why they still have a competitive advantage is A, regulation b they have a like a legal monopoly because i can only get at&t in my area and they're benefiting from cheap money like they just keep they have so much debt and they they're able to borrow money cheaply because they're so big and the government's creating money right and and when the government prints money guess who gets it first the biggest and the powerful biggest and most powerful and so because at&t is a big money suck and they have ties in there's there's we get garbage internet, right? And I and I have tons of different examples of central banks stepping in and making easy money and it creating a it creates a terrible outcome uh, for the economy. Same thing as the rich are getting richer, right? The rich you have a situation where they bailed out they basically said, "Hey, all these banks for all these years before 2008, the the, the bankers were able to keep their bonuses and when they made money, but then when the banks were going to go bankrupt, uh, the government stepped in, bailed them out, meaning we taxpayers bailed them out, and we socialized their losses. They didn't, they didn't pay the bonuses back. You know, matter, matter of fact, nobody went to jail either for all of that stuff. And the people, actually the people that caused the crash are like way richer than the people who lost their jobs and the lower income folks from that period of time, which is it's just not fair, but it comes from central banks stepping in and controlling the money. And by the way, like, I think for the rest of the year, you're going to hear me talking about this because it's just a super unfair system. Out of one side of their mouth, they want to talk about free markets and all that. But I'm like, but you guys benefit from a non-free market and money, which is which is the most, which is the biggest cause of the wealth in, in inequality. So that's my two cents on that. Markets work. They need to let them work for every aspect of, of, of the economy. Next principle. The folks that you're trying to impress very likely don't have money either. Now, this is deep because if people are honest with themselves, the cars that they drive sometimes, the house that they buy many times, the clothes that they wear many times, a lot of them buy it because they like it, but you got to analyze why you like it, especially if if these things are causing you not to be able to save, invest, and pay off debt, which is like the vast majority of people, because the vast majority of people buy too big of a house, too big of a car, too nice of clothes to where they can't save, invest, and pay off money. As a matter of fact, some even uh, use credit card debt to purchase stuff. And it's not a, I'm not judging anybody who does that or how you spend your money. My point is, if if you end up saying, hey, being financially free and smart and sound is important to me, but you don't have money to save and invest and pay off credit card debts. You gotta, you gotta think why, right? And the and the big reason why is 
you're trying to impress people who don't have money either. I have the luxury of being a financial advisor, wealth manager for the last 14 years. And so there are very few people that are driving these super nice cars in these big old houses with these nice clothes that have any money. As a matter of fact, there's there's a correlation between the ones that drive the nicest, you know, stuff in the biggest houses with the least amount of money. The clients that I know that have money, they they still have nice stuff, but it's it's not nearly as nice as the people with with just high incomes and no money in the bank. And and for years I would talk to people I know and they would say, "Oh man, so and so must be really must be doing really really good." because of blah 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 and I and you know I used to just say hey listen like I don't I don't know about them but I just know that I talk to about 200 people a year about money right and the 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 algorithm I was like their algorithm or their habits make me believe they don't have any money especially because I can I can if you tell them what they do and 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 I can calculate about how much money they they actually make and 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 I and I can with almost certainty know whether they have money or not because I'm like, all right, if you make this amount of money, but this is your expenses and you've been doing this for this many years, there's no way you have any money, right? But but you would be shocked. Like I I, I have a I have a client that they've they've not made that much money. They live in they've been living in the same house for a long period of time. You know, it's a good house, but they don't have any debt and they have a lot of money uh, saved up in investments over a period of time, and they don't earn half of what some some very high income people that I know that don't have a pot to piss in as far as money in their retirement account. So again, I'm not saying I'll list to bash anybody on what they do and how they spend their money. I'm just saying the folks you're trying to impress very likely don't have any money either because because the folks that have money, they're not impressed with that. As a matter of fact, the folks that have money probably look they know what I know and the, and you can't hide from them. And if you are if you tell them what you do and they see what you're driving to, they know you don't have any money either. So, because you, you can't hide from winners. Next principle: Phillips' philosophy on risk taking. Here's my philosophy on taking risk. I call it cut off the downside you can't afford to lose. And so, whenever I take a risk, and we'll speak now just in terms of uh, investing or making money, I like to. When I'm thinking about it and building my plan, I like to say, all right, let me be a pessimist first. If things don't work out, what can I lose? I want to know that first. And then if things work out conservatively, what can I make? And and is what can I make multiples of what I can lose? And and, and do I and do I like that that risk reward? And, and and by the way, if I lose, can I handle that lose? Does it does it blow me up or is it not that big of a deal? Uh, and can I minimize uh, that risk? And if 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 what I'm paid, if I'm right conservatively, is many multiples of what I can lose, and I've and I can stand what I lose, then that's that's very likely a a, a decent bet. And then and then by and, and also when I do that, I also say, okay, what else can I do to minimize risk? But that's how I think about taking risks. Uh, let me give you like an example. Something as simple as life insurance. So we have bills, we have goals, dreams, things like that, and we have income. And so my deal is, hey, if if I didn't make it home tonight, does my family have enough cash to make our plan work? No. You know, so is paying, you know, a few hundred bucks a month for life insurance worth it to me to make sure that that's done if I don't make it home tonight. Absolutely. Like not even a question because I can't I can't afford 
to not have that money if something doesn't happen doesn't happen to me. So that that's an example of cutting off risk you you can't afford to lose. Or if it comes to investing in a portfolio, you say, hey, you know, I found this great company. I think that this is a pretty sure deal to go up a lot over a period of time. If if you were to say, hey, I'm going to put 100% of my money into it. Well, if it doesn't work out, because nothing's guaranteed an investment, you lose all of your money. Can you afford that? Probably not. So you may say, hey, I'm going to have a maximum amount of money Maybe and I'm not. I'm not saying this is your number, but maybe it's ten percent. Maybe it's twenty. To where if you're right, you make money. But if you're wrong, you can afford to take that hit. That's an example of, again, looking at the downside to make your decision to to cut off risks you can't afford to lose. So that's my philosophy on risk taking: cut off the downside you can't afford to lose, and make sure your upside is really, really worth it. And do that analysis well. Don't do it sloppily. It's is sloppily a word. I don't even. I don't think that's a word. But it'll be a word today. All right, next question. Philip, why do wealthy people have wealth managers? And I'm just making up this time frame because I don't really know. But I know probably before 2008, 9, 10, uh, there were not a lot of wealth managers who who dealt with people that didn't have you know at least a million dollars. And most people who had money had a wealth manager. And what's a wealth manager? A wealth manager is somebody who manages custom portfolios for clients for a fee and they're not selling products versus a financial advisor or whatever, whatever stock broker, whatever they're called. Uh, they sell products uh, for a commission as a as a part of their service or all of their service. And so wealthy people have wealth managers because when you have money, uh, you have access to more sophisticated services in general, or you had, and they just, they're busy building businesses or making money, doing what they do. They don't have time to evaluate whether their financial the person they lean on for financial advice is recommending a product because it pays them a higher commission or because it's best for them. So a wealth manager cut out that conflict of interest. It's like, hey, like I'm paying you a fee. You know, the, the better this account does, the better we both do. Because uh, you're, you know, if example, if, if the fee is 1% a year, that gets bigger, the bigger the account is and it gets smaller, the smaller the account is. And so it was it, it allowed wealthy people to say, hey, listen, we're on the same team. I'm paying you for advice. Let me go focus on doing what I do best and make some money over here and I'll add it over here. Uh, and so wealth management over the last 10 years have, have been available now to people that uh, have less than a million, although a lot of us still focus on clients that have that have millions. But but now through technology, you, you can access uh, a good wealth manager with, with not that much money. Yeah, because tech makes it easy. But that's how wealthy people have wealth managers. Last principle. The importance of knowledge, faith, and persistence. What made me think of this is no matter what I've, you know, done in life, whether it's, you know, basketball, college, being a product salesperson, building a wealth management company, being a husband, a father, now doing, you know, getting into Muay Thai. I was thinking through, hey, what what are the three things that I like? used to be successful in all of those areas, right? And it, it ended up being coming down, and I want to simplify it, and I know there's more, but I want to simplify it, and it basically was knowledge, faith, and persistence. And I, and I see these three in other people that I study who are successful, right? And so what I mean by knowledge, right? Knowledge is you're not going to be able to be a good father without knowing what a good father you know does, right? Whether it be examples from other people, 
you know, reading books, your experiences, but you have to first know and have a picture in your mind of what a good father is to be a good father, right? The next thing is faith, right? Or you can interchange it with belief, but then you have to believe it. You have to see it and know it and get the skills, but then you got to believe that you can do it, right? Faith saying, hey, I believe that I can do it because it, it, it does you know. There's a lot of people who know what to do or have book smarts but no belief. And so belief is really, really important. And then persistence is when you put the knowledge and the belief together, then you have to persist through the ups and the downs of executing on whatever plan you have, right? Whether it be building a business, right? Just because you know it and you believe in yourself, I don't know any person who was successful day one of a business. Maybe there's some, but I've never read of any or, or met any. So you you have to persist through the ups and downs. And I think I think persistence is the universe's way of making sure you earn it. And again, that applies in marriage, family, working out, all that. But you you have to have those three principles to be successful. Uh, and again, this also applies to investing. You got to learn it, educate yourself, have faith. Uh, and your ability to execute those principles, and then it really have faith in the future too. Because investing, you gotta. If you're a pest, if you're pessimistic about the future, then why be an investor? You have to have faith in the future. Have faith that humanity will continue to innovate. Right, this time is not different. Uh, we as human beings are not gonna run the economy off the cliff for good after thousands of years of f- figuring out how to figure it out, and then have the persistence to persist through the good markets, uh, and the bad markets. But knowledge, faith, and persistence principle is really important to be to being successful in anything that you do. Hey, those listening, let me know about what you think about these principles that I'm adding into it. It's not all technical questions, but it's principles that I think are important for decision-making, and, and a lot of it applies to investing, but a lot of you can apply to outside of investing. But I just want to get your thoughts on if you like it, I've had a couple of good feedback on it, but I just want to know what everybody thinks. So you can feel free to like email me, philip at philipwashingtonjr.com or DM me on Instagram at askphilip and let me know your thoughts. But we are um, done with the episode for today, about to go into the weekend. What do we got planned this weekend? We're trying out this place called True Kitchen Cocktails. And so it's, it's, it's over in Deep Ellum, I believe, but it's a, a new concept, real upscale soul food spot, and the ambiance looks great, drinks look great, me and my wife are super excited to go. It's, it's owned by a fellow member of Kappa Alpha Psi, so for all of you noobs out there, su- support, support the, the frat. But even if, you know, just, just if you like good food in general, I, I think you'll like it. I've seen some good reviews so far. I'll give you my, I'll be able to give you my opinion officially next week. My wife on her foodie, uh, foodie blog, Ask Kelly. You can look her up on Instagram too. She'll give, she'll have our official opinion after we try it out on Saturday. So we're excited about that. Y'all enjoy your weekend. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk.
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.